welcome to episode 25 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that says to meet at the Black Gathering Point for the modern double-up and then moves that gathering point to the other side of the convention centre, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott, and I'm joined by the seasoned pyromancer herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I'll be honest, Scott, I'm feeling pretty sad, because yeah. this weekend would have been GP London, and... Mm-hmm. Really, we should be scuffling around the convention centre, trading all our cards away, moaning how expensive the food is there and playing modern double-ups, but alas. Yeah, we would probably have met there because I would have been at it too. Yeah, I would have been there. London's like an hour away from me, so I would have just got the train down. But yeah, that, that's also quite sad because it's just like people would be able to meet but can't, so... Yeah. Otherwise, I'm okay, but I'm a little sad because, you know, there's no GP and no magic events for a while. Yeah. What I have been doing is, in typical fashion at this time of the year, is having my yearly clear out of magic cards, which I would have done at a GP if I was there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've done my big clear out, I've got rid of a load of stuff, which feels great. Granted, it's not the preferred way of doing it, but it needed to be done. Yeah. And otherwise, I've been playing a bit of Magic Online for the first time in a bit Ooh. of time. Been doing some Supreme drafts, if you ever heard of those. Mm, yeah. And this time it's Master Sets, so you could open any Master Set, including Vintage Master, so you can get some Power 9 in there. Nice. It works like a normal draft, except you just take the two best cards and then you get a new pack every time until yeah. there's a certain amount. And with Master Sets, there's all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. So it's really, really weird, but it's kind of fun at the same time because you just get to draft some really odd stuff. Otherwise, I have been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Free Houses because that game is really, really, really good. Yeah. You probably understand this. So when you hit like the four or five hour mark in like an RPG and everything just starts to click and you're like, yeah, mm. I'm really into this. That, that's what's happened to me. And it's just really, really good. Kind of hit your like third boss kind of area. Yeah, like you, you know yeah. the characters, you know the roles, you know what you got to do. And you just like, I just want to dive into it and just get on with it. And that's pretty much been my week. Mm. In Fire Emblem, you have three factions. I am the Blue Lines, which is like a heavy aggro cavalry attack matters kind of faction. And yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. Again, as good as I can be considering, you know, I I didn't actually think about the whole idea of GP London was actually this weekend until you mentioned it earlier in the week. And then I got sad. Um, It's not exactly your fault, but, you know, I'm going to partially blame you anyway but that's fine <laughs> yeah no it it does kind of suck like it would be great to be able to like if things didn't happen pandemic wise and everything was back to normal or just didn't happen we could be doing this as like a live episode from gp london right now which would have been complete with the please meet at the black gathering point in the background and like that would have been great i would have like added to the the feel but unfortunately you know but things are what they are so outside of magic I've been getting onto retro gaming buzz over the last couple of days. This happens from time to time. It's almost yearly, and I think it's roughly winter-ish kind of time, you know, where there's less to do, you can't really go out that much, and you've played through all of the games in your Steam library that you're actually willing to touch. Like, (laughs) let's be real, no one's ever finishing all the games in their Steam library. If anyone has said that, they're either a psychopath or a liar. And I've got like 20 games left that I haven't touched in my Steam library, and I'm not going to because... Like I just said, not crazy. But so I, I've instead, I've taken my PSP that I use for playing PS1 games. It's got functionality built in for that already. So you just basically transfer the files onto the device and it just plays it straight up. Like there's no hacking or anything that needs to be done. But I have just jailbroken my PS Vita. So it's now got custom firmware on it, lets me run emulators. I now have SNES and Sega Mega Drive, or Genesis as it's known over in the US. Every single game from both consoles 
are on the PS Vita and it's taken so up cool. I think it's like a gig and a half of memory like so it's cool. like no space at all it's ridiculous so I've been doing that and magic wise I have been practicing Dice Factory Tron because I have to make sure that I get value out of every single dice in the entire <laughs> apartment <laughs> I've also been organizing my decks. I've realized recently that I currently have eight commander decks. I, I started playing commander like properly six months ago. How did this happen? I remember having the conversation with you. It's like, no, oh, I've not touched commander. It's not for me. It's like, ugh, not too bothered about it. Six months later, now you've just got a small collection. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Like, they're, they're not particularly expensive decks by any imagination, but, like, some of them are pretty good. I think my best one is, like, Tashar, which is, like, $130 or thereabouts. Like, I would put that as at about, like, an 8.5. Tashar's pretty powerful as well. You can do lots of loops. and Tashar's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. You know what, actually? We should probably do an episode at some point, or we could do an episode at some point about all of the different decks that we have. Yes, we should. We and them. you need to build a PDH deck. I'm going to keep reminding you. I do, I do. I have a list. I just haven't built it in paper, that's all. We need to build it. But we need to do a PDH stream. We do, absolutely. And drag Angelo and any others that are interested in. Yes. If anyone is interested in hearing us talk at length about the decks that we own, I don't know why, but, you know, it could be your thing. You know, I'm not going to king shame. But <laughs> if that's something of interest, do let us know on Twitter. Um, we're more than happy to do different kinds of episodes and whatever's of interest to the people listening. So if that is something that you would like, let us know. Yes. Yeah. Emma, have we got any housekeeping this week? We do have some housekeeping this week. So we would like to give a huge thank you to someone that you know, Ian Holland, and Hello. the Pauper Guild, who are the latest patrons of the Cheering Fanatic tier. So thank you very much. Appreciate the stonks and the support is deeply, deeply appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, Ian, by the way, is a good friend of mine. I actually test my decks with him. <laughs> He's a <laughs> very good friend. And I am going to say thank you, Ian. But also, this does not make you my boss. <laughs> just want to make that very clear. <laughs> the other patrons, absolutely my boss. You, you though, <laughs> might mess with the friend dynamic just a little bit, you know. <laughs> If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so we are back in modern highlights mode, and we are seeing red this week. Red prowess in modern, to be specific. Red prowess is a deck that I love. I have had a lot of practice with it. I've had a lot of success with it as well, actually. I've won quite a few things with it. Nothing big, but like enough that I can definitely say that I know what I'm talking about with it. It's a deck that rose to prominence after the banning of Fateless Looting. Rest in peace, my beautiful, beautiful birds. But before the banning of Fatal Zooting, there was Mono Red Phoenix, which is a much more aggressive variant of the massively popular Is a Phoenix deck. And like the Is a version, it couldn't survive the ban at all. So it just adapted to take advantage of the powerful aggressive threats that it had access to. So the original version of the deck, which saw play for a very, very long time, ran the likes of Bedlam Reveler as sort of top end way to refuel in the mid game and push through 
into the end. Over the course of 2020, though, this version has kind of died off in the higher tier metagames because it just can't keep up with threats like Uro and Omnath and that kind of thing. So it's since adapted and we now have the latest variant that actually turns out to be an Obosh the Prey Piercer companion deck. Which is weird, because you look at these decks and you're like, it's got 20 lands, and you need to pay 3 to put Obosh into your hand, and then Mm -hmm. pay 5 to cast it. So it's 8 mana for a double damage effect, and also a deck building restriction. But it's more there incidentally, because once you look at these deck lists, you'll realize that all of the cards that are in this are just really good cards. You know, it's not that we're purposely hobbling ourselves deck building wise in order to fit Obosh in. It just happens to be so easy to just slot in, you know, so... It's very, very good in here. Sometimes you just don't even use it. Sometimes you just put it into your hand. You just might not even cast it. It's just Mm. another mana sink, you know? But it's very, very good. Yeah, it seems pretty quote-unquote free in the deck. You have to put a couple more lands in to pay for it, but otherwise it feels pretty free. You don't get to run Mana Morphos, but I think that's not a problem at the moment because you seem to be more creature-focused anyway. Stuff like Bone Crusher Giant. Yeah. You're a little more creature-focused in this variant, and you are a little bit more interested in grinding out as well, Mm. instead of just trying to gotta go fast, kind of Manamorphos Blitz kind of style. So, yeah, so if you can't tell, this is an aggro or burn style deck. It looks to reduce its opponent's life total to zero as quickly as possible by deploying small threats that have prowess, like Soulscar Mage and so on, and just casting multiple spells in a turn. So, there are two variants, like I said, the Obash version and the non-Obash version, It's up to you which one you want to play with. The Obash one is particularly good in metagames where, and we'll get into this later, Blood Moon is particularly effective because it runs four in the main deck. Whereas the Prowess version without Obash and runs Bedlam Revelers and stuff instead is still pretty good at grinding out, but it's a little bit better in metagames where you don't need to rely on Blood Moon and you're not super afraid of tons and tons of removal, for example. So what we'll do is we'll break down some of the the key cards in the deck. First up, we have the most aggressive one-drops that we can possibly have in a deck like this. Soulscar Mage, Monastery Swift Spear. These two are the main aggressive force. They are both one mana, one twos with prowess. Swift Spear has haste, but Soulscar deals non-combat damage in the form of minus one, minus one counters instead. So the damage kind of sticks around afterwards on creatures. It's, it's really, really cool. It's really good. I've faced Soulscar Mages before, uh, where I was playing Storm and I had a Platinum Empyrean out and over the course of two turns they just removed it because in one turn they were just like Bolt, Lavadart shrunk it down to a 4-4 and then they did the same thing the next turn then attacked Yeah, them. it just allows you to trade up against big creatures doesn't it? Stuff like Primeval Titan is another good yeah. one because the Prowess also helps as well as the Withering so mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of using something like a Lightning Bolt followed by Double Lavadart on a Primeval Titan and turn it into a 1-1 Titan and I'm like... <laughs> teeny titan and then just leaving it you know just to exert dominance i'm like now i'm gonna leave it alive as a one one we're flex but okay <laughs> so yeah the the main attacking force soulscar mage monastery swift spear if you have both in your hand at the start play soulscar mage first so that in turn two you can play the swift spear with haste and then cast another spell and give both of them prowess and attack in generally a good tip next card up i'm at we have blood moon now this shows up in the obosh version this is pretty good at the minute right that's in a good spot, especially with uh, four color Omnath just being everywhere. Being able just to turn all your four color deck into a mountain seems really, really good at the moment. Yeah, big time. There are some matchups where it's dead, admittedly, but you will see later that there are ways to get around that drawback. 
but we've talked at length about Blood Moon. We list it as one of the most important and impactful cards in red in the modern format, and for good reason, because sometimes it just lands on turn three and you win the game. Plus with Blood Moon, there can be a misconception where if you just cast a Blood Moon against Tron, for example, you've won the game. Not mm-hmm. quite true because you need to apply the pressure. One thing one of Red Prowess is really good at is applying that pressure after casting the Blood Moon. So you want to couple that with some aggression. Mm. And even depending on how you build it, the non-Obash versions actually just have insanely good Tron matchups anyway. Mm. To the point that they just don't run Blood Moon. They're like, well, if we're going to run Blood Moon to deal with Tron, we just won't run it and we'll just be fast. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Basically, like Burn and Prowess have good Tron matchups anyway. It's just mm. the Blood Moon just gives you that extra if you want it. But in a lot of cases, it's just free. So because you're just running 18 mountains. So. Yeah, that's it. Next up, we have the most expensive card by far in these kind of builds, and it's one that we've actually exempt from the Obosh builds, and that's Season Pyromancer. So Season Pyromancer was in Modern Horizons. That's why it's so expensive. It was a mythic. It's the only card of its kind to basically do this kind of effect you know it's a three mana two two when it enters the battlefield discard up to two cards and then draw two cards and then you create a one one elemental for each non-land card that's been discarded now you still draw the two cards if you're empty-handed so if you top deck this and you play this it's a three mana two two that draws two cards it's basically better than muldrifter and muldrifter is great <laughs> that that's a take yeah <laughs> Yeah, so this is an example where you can discard Blood Moons in bad matchups and it'll turn that Blood Moon essentially into a 1-1 elemental, which doesn't sound like much, but it's a free incidental effect. It's good to get that Mm. extra little bit of power on the board, you know? It's really, really good in like grindy matchups in particular. If you're facing faster combo decks and that kind of thing, these would be the kind of cards that you would board out because you just simply won't have time to cast them. But in most matchups, these are fantastic. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's one of the best cards to come from Modern Horizons. Like, it sees playing, mm. what, Ponza as well now? And it's just, yeah. the effect is so good, and that's why it's unfortunately so expensive. Yeah. I guess on the wish list, I'd like to see this in Modern Horizons too, but we'll see. Absolutely. There is one creature that's in the Obosh version that some people swear by, and other people think is unplayable. And that's Bowmack Carrier. The newer builds, like we said, Obosh version runs it. The Bedlam Reveler versions don't run it at all, never have. But what this does is it allows you to run a longer game. So it's one mana, one, one artifact creature with haste. And whenever it attacks, you exile the top card of your library face down under it. And then you can pay a red and discard your hand to basically take all the cards that were under Bowmack Carrier and put them into your hand. You also have to sacrifice Bowmack Carrier to do this. So... I really, really like this in these builds. And the reason that I really like it is because you're able to just use your burn as removal on creatures. You're paving the way for this to attack through. And it forces your opponent at some point, usually when you've got about three cards in hand or so, they're like, okay, I have to answer this very, very soon. Otherwise, I'm out of resources and they're back to square one. Mm. If there was a lot of removal going around and stuff, I would probably consider maybe not including these because they can be a bit of a liability at that point but they're so so powerful like if you get this to attack like three times paying red to discard your hand and draw three in red is pretty good because your hand is probably empty like most (laughs) of the time it's probably empty or you just full up keep drawing mountains and you just want to trade them for some action that's it 
Yeah. It's really, really good. And the one damage kind of adds up after a while as well, especially if they don't want to block it for whatever reason. You have to respect it. I think that's my issue, that no one really respects the Baymat Courier. Yeah. And I think what's critical about this as well, what makes this so good, is you were mentioning there the damage, the one point of damage here and there. If you pay one for this and it attacks three times, that's a bolt that you can then get three cards out of it. Mm. That's insane. Yeah, it's like when we talk about burn and goblin guide, you at least want to connect twice to get the value out of one mana, and it's the same here. Yeah, if you connect a few times, even if you don't get the cards under it, it's more than done its job. Also, you don't mind pitching certain cards out of your hand. Like we said earlier, if Blood Moon is bad in the matchup, when you sacrifice Bomb Courier, if it's still in your hand, you just get rid of it, and that's fine, you know? Same with, like, Lava Dart. Like, you don't necessarily need to hold on to the Lava Dart to be able to cast the front half of it. You can just discard it and then use the back half of it somewhere else. Same with Season Pyromancer as well. If that goes into your bin, you can use it to make some tokens. Exactly, yeah. Speaking of Season Pyromancer, the main difference between the Obash version and non-Obash version is Season Pyromancer and Bedlam Reveler, which is the next card that we're going to talk about. Bedlam Reveler is the top-end late-game refuel option for the non-Obash builds, and it's great. This is one of my favourite creatures of all time. Oh, really? This, oh, love it. Absolutely love it. A creature that relies on spells in the graveyard and then draws you more spells and then gets bigger <laughs> from spells. Yes. Yes. And you have you seen that angry boy? Oh, just 10 out of 10. Doesn't die to bolt. Doesn't die to push. Oh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. There have been many times where I've built decks that have started with four Thing in the Ice and four Bedlam Reveler, Let's go. That doesn't just, surprise me, actually. Oh. Especially the thing in the ice. Yeah, those two those two creatures, just incredibly oversized threats for the cost that you'll actually be paying for them. Mm. Wonderful. Absolutely love them. But yeah, they're just massive threats. They're, they're just enormous. You'll often be paying red red for this. Yeah. And like I said earlier there, like it doesn't die to bolt ever. It doesn't die to push ever. A 3-4 that has prowess is the same as having a Soulscar Mage with two prowess triggers already. Mm. So you're already so far ahead in terms of getting ready to pile on damage. Now, they are very awkward in multiples. If you have yes. a hand with two Battle and Revelers, it's I'm not great. shipping it. I'm not yeah. keeping it in most cases. So I, I played a little bit of prowess back in its early iteration, like just post play for sleeping ban. And I remember run, everyone was running like three or four. I'm like, that is so many. I kind of just want two. Because drawing multiples just feels really bad. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with three. Actually, I think it's a lot like Maelstrom Pulse. Like you don't want, you want one, but you don't want two, but you want like half of one. So you like want two point mm. five of them, just because they can get really bad yeah. multiples. Well, this is the thing. Like I don't really mind too much if I have a second one because mm. I'm just going to discard it to something, and that'll just turn into another card. So it's mm. kind of fine, you know. But like I would run four of these if your entire creature suite was four Soulscar Mage, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Bedlam Reveler. Yes. I would run that if that's only the creatures that you're running. But like, for example, in the version that we're running here, it has a couple of Bonecrusher Giants because they're really nice. It's just doing some damage, being additional threats. Mm. It's kind of card advantage. So we don't really need to rely super heavily on the Bedlam Revelers. Therefore, three is perfectly mm. fine. So yeah, I would be very reluctant to go to four in most circumstances for the exact reasons that we've just talked about. The final very important card out of both of these builds, I'm going to get you to have a little talk about it because I know you're a big fan of this card. Well, I have the stage. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, this card's great. Like we've talked about on this episode already, how you want to just keep drawing cards and drawing into action. Uh, Lie of the Sage does that very, very well. And a lot of your removal 
can hit any target. So even like a lava dart can turn this on. You know, even your Bowmat Curries that we talked about earlier, chipping that one point of damage can be so huge just because it gives you an extra two cards that you can play across two turns. I really like it. I think it's a really great card. I compared it to Red Ancestral at one point and I still yeah. maintain that because it's very good. And yeah, I just think it's an essential part of the build. Also, it's a good tip if you're playing with light up the stages. Don't play any lands to begin with. Just play your lands if you light up the stage first. Yeah, for sure. I really don't think prowess would be a thing if light up the stage didn't get printed. It's a powerful card. Um, I don't mm. think people realize how important it is for red decks. Yeah, I think we would definitely see like, is it prowess if we were going to yeah. see a prowess deck if light up the stage didn't exist? I think that's how crucial it is to the strategy because, like that, you need to be able to draw more cards. Thankfully, this gets around stuff like Narset and stuff because it doesn't yes. actually technically draw cards. That's a very fringe thing. It's not why it's good. It's just incidental. But yeah, one mana draw two is ridiculous. Like, can I get that in blue, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can. I think they banned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For good reason. <laughs> yeah. Now, this type of deck is very, very, very powerful. However, there are a couple of cards in particular that you need to be aware of if you are to have success with this deck. The first one, if you look at modern lists in general, you will start getting used to this. You will look at decks and go, does this die to Chalice of the Void on any (laughs) specific number? And this one dies pretty hard to Chalice on one. So if you're against any kind of Chalice of the Void deck, we'll mention this in the bad matchups section later on, but Chalice of the Void is like the one card you don't want to see. It just turns off so much of your deck. If they manage to get a Chalice on one down before you get a threat down, it's basically game over. You just got to deal with the post board with like a braids. So the one thing to bear in mind with Chalice of the Void though is that prowess triggers still happen. So if you have a Soul Skarmage or a Swift Spear or something out and you're Chalice checking your opponent, be sure to Chalice check your opponent. If they choose to not have things get countered, that's on them. We talked about this last week on the Eldrazi Shrine episode. Absolutely, yep. So if my Etron opponent, Emma, is sitting there and I'm casting bolts, I'm chalice checking her every single time. And she's going to be like, don't make me tap the sign. And I'll be like, that's fine. Don't make me tap the prowess trigger. It still happens, you know. So even if your bolts can't work and they're turned off by a chalice, but you have prowess creatures out, you can still push through damage. That is one way to get around them. The other way is go to game two. (laughs) Simple as that. Weather the storm is the next one. If you think they might have weathered the storm, don't cast too many spells at once. This is particularly for matchups like Tron. Green Tron tend to have a post board. And what are the decks run weather? Sometimes Jund runs it as well. Mm. Or like Rock and Jund decks. But you don't see it that often anymore. I don't know, because Uro exists, maybe. Also, remember, this might sound really stupid, but I didn't realise this until a couple of years ago. The Storm checks both opponents on spells, not just your opponents. So that's that's something to keep in mind as well when doing the maths on, you know, how much life they're going to gain. Yeah. Slightly off topic, but as a Storm player, whenever I see opponents try to counter my spells and I win that counter war, I'm like, thank you. You've done so much of the work for me. It is is symmetrical, which (laughs) when starting out in Magic, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) so yes watch out for open mana particularly if you think you might have lethal and one of the untapped mana sources is green as someone who's gotten got by a weather the storm with like storm count like seven or something gaining that much life it's not game over these decks can absolutely grind through it and i have ground through it multiple multiple times but it's a huge buffer that you're giving your opponent it's often like an extra three or four turns that your opponent is getting at that point similarly Oriak Champion, particularly a post-board card, 
with either humans or tokens builds and stuff. You have your mm. budget tokens build there from during the week, wasn't it? Last yes, week? Yes, correct. I added that to the sideboard. It has become very expensive, like more so mm. than normal, just because Mono Red's doing really well, Prowess is doing well, and mm. Backdoor Shadow is doing really well. So naturally a card that says Pro Black, Pro Red is really, really good. Yep. However, you can get around it with a bone crusher giant. Absolutely. So the trick with it basically is to attack with your creatures and they're going to be like, well, they're red and Oreo Champion is pro red. So I'm just going to block. And then all you have to do is cast Stomp on the bone crusher giant, target, well, you can't target Oreo Champion, so you have to target something else. And that will say that damage can't be prevented this turn. Mm. Protection prevents damage. Yeah. So it should stop the protection and just kill the Oreo Champion. You can also, out of the sideboard, run Kozilek's Return, which is very, very good, because it deals two damage to everything. It's not red, and if you have any of your prowess creatures out, they all have two toughness, but will get a prowess trigger before it goes off, which means that none of them will die to it either. So it's kind of like the perfect sideboard card for this deck. But yes, they are the three main cards to watch out for. They're the ones that will cause you the most heartbreak, I think. Mm. So... Anything outside of that is just going to be like one-off life gain kind of cards or like Dragon's Claw in the mirrors and that kind of thing if you're running the non-Obash versions. There's nothing major to really worry about. Uros could be an issue, but then Uros is just an issue in general. So. Uros actually kind of fine as well, weirdly yeah. enough, because like Soulscar Mage will just shrink it and just kill it or ignore it. Like if they're attacking you for six, you just take the six, untap, mm. and then, you know bolt bolt uh, some other spell like flashback of lava dart or something and then you're attacking with two creatures for mm. way more than they've just gained back you know so you'll win that race you will actually outrace uro in a lot of cases that's how blisteringly fast this deck can be sometimes and particularly with the likes of the uro decks and stuff they tend not to run a whole lot of removal either they have a lot of permission spells yeah. like they they like to hold up say like a mana leak or a cryptic or whatever and if they don't need to use it they'll cast like a growth spiral and that kind of thing. They don't have a whole lot of like removal in there because they kind of don't need it in a lot of scenarios, but that makes decks like this better, and it's what mm. makes these decks good at the moment. You know, that and Blood Moon, obviously. So with that, let's jump to the good matchups. It's it's a nice varied selection of decks, to be honest. The, mm. the first one we have on the list here is Tron, like traditional green Tron. Yep, I'm fully we- aware of this matchup. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> I have yeah. to play a Worm Coil Engine and hope for the best, which is never never ideal no that's that's it because again soul scar mage this is it like low-key one of the best creatures in red will just turn it into you know like that just turn it into a one one when it yeah. turns into two tokens you can just bolt it as well it's just mm-hmm. as a patron player it's frustrating but it's just so quick and tron's just not traditionally not great against quick decks yeah the obosh version is slower than the non-obosh version but it runs blood moon which yeah. is enough to knock you off temporarily to close the game out. So even though the Obosh version is slower, it's more disruptive, which means that it's still not a bad matchup, which is pretty nice. Mm. This, I think, would also be one of the matchups where you would consider pulling out the Seasoned Pyromancers, I would say, because they're a little too slow. You don't really want to be casting it on turn three and then have your opponent on top and carn you. you Yeah, you just want to push your damage. Yeah, for sure. Another good matchup generally speaking, is Death Shadow, because they might have a lot of thought seizes and that kind of stuff and be happy to take a couple of bolts to the face, but you have more creatures and more long game than the average burn deck does. So if you're playing Death Shadow and you are of greater skill level than your burn opponent, 
you're likely to just run away with the game because you'll know I need to hold on to some of these things. I need to not damage myself. I'll let my burn opponent do that. And then when they're nearly out of gas, I'm going to put my foot in the pedal and team or battle raise them and win the game. That can't really happen here because you have to use your, as a Death Shadow player, you'd have to use your removal to remove the creatures. You have to use the Thought Seizes very carefully to make sure that you get stuff like the Blood Moons and stuff out of their hand. But Thoughtseize is also damaging yourself, while mm. your opponent is also trying to put pressure on from as many angles as possible. It's just not Yeah, good. and even the Gurmag anglers that tend to come down in these matchups aren't great either, because of Soul Scar Mage. Like, yeah. it's, it's very, very difficult. And the Burn Death Shadow matchup is one of my favourite matchups to play, because it is a archetype masters sort of matchup, where you yeah. have to just know. In a lot of cases, especially for Burn, I know we're going off on a tangent slightly, um, but in the case for Burn, they have to play as the control player and not yeah. necessarily the aggressor. And it's really interesting just to see that shift in dynamic. Yeah, it's really cool. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen here, though, because no. if, <laughs> if Death Shadow tries anything other than try and close the game out as quickly as possible, they will probably just die. It's just oh. how it is. And the other one, then, that's particularly good is Valakut decks, because Valakut decks tend to be too slow, honestly. Yeah. Like, this can play like a combo deck, in a sense. Because there's an awful lot of synergy and a lot of the time it is a case of just ensuring that you maximize every single point of damage possible. Where, you know, it might be a case of do I attack and not lava dart that one creature and instead see if they block and then if they don't, I'll lava dart face instead and that'll speed up the clock by a full turn if I manage it again next turn. This kind of thing, like there is a lot of layers of thinking with this kind of deck and... Mm. Valica decks just can't really cope with that you know they're yeah. just like play some lands pass turn like <laughs> Blood Moon's really good against Valica as well because it just turns off the Valicates which, yeah. which is big game and some of them don't even run like Reclamation Sage or Force of Vigor in the main board anymore so in your game ones it's pretty much going to do the job yeah it's just it's a good matchup because they need to have a certain number of lands before the likes of Valica or Field of the Dead or whatever start to take effect and actually have some sort of use in the game Mm. and you're generally just about a turn quicker than that on the average draw so yeah these should generally be no real concern for you pretty much at all there are exceptions but for the most part like amulet titan and stuff i'm I'm like yeah i'll play that i'll play that matchup for days (laughs) no problem that's a really good matchup for you yeah it's a lot of fun now in terms of bad matchups we did talk about one card in particular that houses these kinds of decks and that's chalice of the void Emma gave us a rundown of Eldrazitron and how imperative it is to have Chalice in those kind of builds. Emma, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the matchup's like? So if you manage to cast a Chalice of Void on one, you're pretty good, especially if they haven't played like a Soul Scar Mage or a Monastery Swift Spear because they rely on that early interaction so much and the curve is so low. And that pretty much locks them out of the game unless they, you know, have to go into Brain Crush Giant Blood Moon sort of plan. Even then, you're favoured because your reality smashes can go over the top. Mm. So Eldrazi Tron's about slowing the opponent down enough so you can do your thing and just playing a chalice on one just does that. Yep, yep. Super, super effective. Yeah, it's not a card I ever want to see. And a lot of the like artifact removal in these decks tend to be one or two mana as well. So if mm. you can get it on one or two, you're locking their sideboard options out as well. Yeah. Another bad kind of matchup will be Spirits, I've found. Because they have a reasonable clock. They have some reasonable disruption as well with the likes of Spellcaller and everything. They also have a load of Lords to be able to outgrow the burn spells. Yeah. And because of Drogskull Captain and stuff as well, they can gain Hexproof. 
and they all fly so you can't even block them it's just a general nightmare like it's yeah. absolutely winnable it's absolutely winnable because if they don't run say like collect a company or something then they don't really have any way to draw back a new hand or anything like that whereas you do so if you just keep pointing burn spells and just removing things out of the sky eventually you will be able to recoup and push through but you don't have a huge window to do that because yeah. like that they can just top deck a coco or they could just play a couple of drug skull captains and then suddenly they can't be targeted and it is generally not great no supreme phantoms a really awkward one because yes it's a one three but the minute a lord comes down it becomes a two four and that is so awkward for you because you have to two for mm-hmm. one it if you can't deal with the lord pretty much also mausoleum wanderer tends to be quite good in the mashup just because you're running such a low land count you can usually counter a lot of the spells as well mm. yeah also as a pro tip as a former band spirits player just lava dart the hierarch every yeah. time oh yeah without fail just just get rid of it <laughs> Bolt the Bird still applies 27-ish yeah. years later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, finally, I've put this down under bad matchups. I wouldn't say it's horrendous, but it's not great. It's definitely winnable, though, and that's humans. So, it's similar to spirits. They have more disruption and a faster clock, but they don't tend to really fly over. You know, like, they do have certain things, like, if you don't deal with a Mantis Rider for a turn or two, suddenly you're missing half your life total, you know? Mm-hmm. That could be pretty dangerous. But the thing with this that makes it easier than Spirits is they have no way to recoup. So, yes, they have stuff like Thalia and everything mainboard, which can be a pain in the face. But it's as easy as just pointing a burn spell like a Lavadard or something at her and then continuing on. But if you can deal with the first, say, three or so turns of creatures and then land something like a Bedlam Reveler, you're winning Mm. that game. There's going to be no problems there. But it is a case of being sure that you can actually deal with that first massive wave of creatures because it's so fast. It's so aggressive. You also have to deal with the meddling mages as well. Mm. And if your humans player is really, really good, they probably know what to name as well. This feels like a matchup where Blood Moon's not fantastic because they lean on Aethervar so much. It's weird. Yeah. If I was running the Obash version, I would pull out like two Blood Moons because I yeah. wouldn't mind it. Because the thing that you want to be able to do is to point all your burn spells at the creatures and then refill. Now, if you don't find a way to refill, Blood Moon is pretty good. Because if you trade off your burn spells for their creatures and then both of you have nothing left and you land a Blood Moon, the difference now is they can't cast creatures, but you can. So you will get out of that way, way quicker than they will. So it's fine. But the main thing with Blood Moon is that it'll come down on turn three. It's turn one and two and three that you need to deal with, with humans in particular. Mm. So, yeah. I, I wouldn't keep all of them in, but I wouldn't just insta-pull all of them out, necessarily. Yeah, yeah it's it's an interesting matchup. I tend to just hate the humans decks in general. <laughs> I just... I don't know what it is. There's just something about that deck. I think my issue with humans when it first came around, it has 12 rainbow lands that have yeah. no downside. Basically, yeah. And it has Aether Vial. And they're always going to print humans, so it's only yeah. just going to get better as well. That's it. Yeah. The only downside, quote-unquote, with the lands is that, like, you can't cast an Aether Vial off an Ancient Ziggurat. That's it. <laughs> that's literally it. Like... <laughs> and, and that Cavernous Souls are absurdly expensive. So that's another one, but, you know... Yeah. But, like, if you're playing <laughs> humans, you've got them, so, like... Yeah, it's the... <laughs> But, yeah. So, they're, they're the bad matchups, anyway, for Monorail Prowess. Like we said, we have two deck lists. If you want to see them, you can join our Patreon. At even the lowest tier, you'll get access to all of the show notes. 
which, as we said, include the deck lists as well. You also have this little cheat sheet in the show notes where you can see all of the key cards, why they're important and all of the cards to be aware of and all of these upcoming tips and tricks. So we've already talked one or two of these as we sort of discussed the cards and the deck, but we'll just run through the rest as we go on here. So first up, don't go all in on a turn unless you are absolutely certain that you're going to win. Keeping an eye open for the untapped mana in case of a weather the storm or something or a removal spell. You know, if you're looking and you're doing the maths and you're like, okay, so my Soulscar Mage and my Swift Spear can attack in and then I can bolt, bolt, dart, flashback, dart and they die. If they're sitting there with like four cards in hand and they're a Jund player and they have two mana open, you can safely assume that you're not going to win on the spot because they're going to kill something. So Mm. don't push it too much. Take your time. You can hold off a turn or two in those kind of scenarios. Be sure that you're going to win. Because if you blast everything in that one turn and then they kill one or two of your creatures and you're there with an empty hand and they untap with like a Tarmogoyf and like three cards in hand, you're like, I'm not going to win now. You just mm. not, you know, so you need to make sure that you don't put yourself into a precarious situation with those kind of plays. So this is a really important one, which, you know, as playing aggressive decks in the past is a good one to do is quadruple check your maths. Mm. This is a deck that runs on super, super thin margins. So it's important to make sure you your maths is correct so you don't miss out on a point or two of damage, because in some cases that can be the difference between you winning and losing. Yeah, it's so critical. There have been so many games where I lost with my opponent at one, and then I'd spot yeah. a line like that I'd made like two turns previous, and I'm like, oh, I'd be sitting here winning. I'd be signing that slip as like 2-1 right now, not 1-2, yeah. you know? Well, that lava dart went in the wrong place, yeah. or you didn't attack with the Bomat Courier, because, you know, that one damage is so important. Yeah, but speaking of all my couriers, there is a little trick with them as well. The next tip that we have is that you can pop multiple Bomat Couriers together. So let's say you have two Bomat Couriers out. One has two cards under it and the other has three cards under it, we'll say. And you go to attack with them and your opponent goes to cast, I don't know, a removal spell on one of them. And you've got one card left in hand and you're like, you know what? I can do with a bunch of cards here. You can sacrifice one of them and then with that trigger on the stack, sacrifice the other one because where it says to discard your hand as well, that's part of the cost to activate that ability. It's not part of the effect so it's not going to make you discard the cards that you get from the first Bomber Curry. You will get the cards from both, which is really, really important. It, it might seem like it's really fringe, but it does actually show up and it is really sweet to be able to do that. And a lot of people don't know about it as well. So they'll yeah. often be like, uh, Judge, can my opponent? And then they just be like, yeah, your opponent is actually very, very smart. They made big brain plays. Your opponent won't be able to see how much you're smiling because you'd be holding so many cards. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes. And with that sort of point on the amount of cards that you're going to be holding, it kind of segues nicely into this next point. And that is that it's not a burn deck necessarily. It's more of an aggressive mid-range deck. You're not looking to just blast out and try and get them dead by like turn three or turn four. Often you can, and that's fine. But it's important to know that you're not necessarily missing out on damage by not pointing bolts at face and instead killing some creatures, because that's often what you want to do. You want to make sure that their board doesn't get out of control because you only are going to have one or two little tiny creatures. Mm. So you need to make sure that the way is clear for them to act as your continuous forms of damage because burn by itself will run out. Soulscar Mages and Swift Spears can stick around for several, several turns, like we said earlier on, with the value of Goblin Guide connecting at least twice. 
you know, in a burn case. It's the same with this. Keep those alive for as long as possible because they are what will win you the game, not necessarily the burn. This next tip is one I have seen happen a few times from playing Bogles <laughs> and playing those turn zero Leyline of Sanctities is that if your opponent does have a Leyline or Witchbane Orb, don't be afraid to bolt yourself to push the prowess on your creatures to push through damage. Mm-hmm. Your lightning bolts and your burn spells do read as plus one, plus one to all your creatures, essentially, when it comes to prowess. So don't be afraid to hurt yourself in order to push through the extra two, three points of damage, which can be the difference, as we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Then Shattering Spree is a really good one in the Obosh versions of the deck for the replicate ability. Because, like we said earlier, it'd be great to be able to use stuff like a braid on Chalice of the Void. But if you're running the Obosh version... You don't really want to remove Obosh as your companion just to put Artifact Hate into your deck. So Shattering Spree is really, really good because it's one mana destroy target artifact. But the Replicate ability, where you can pay the one red and copy the spell, those copies aren't cast. So they can't be countered by Chalice of the Void. Which means that if they have Chalice on one and you Replicate Shattering Spree even once and target Chalice of the Void, your opponent can tap the Chalice of the Void all they want. That Replicate (laughs) will still blow it up. They can tap the nice. sign, but it's not going to work. That's it. <laughs> and lastly, when coming up against an ensnaring bridge, obviously it depends how many cards they have on their hand. So, for example, if they have one card in hand and you attack, because you can do with your Swiss Spear and your Soul Scar Mages, after attacks, you want to start pumping up your spells because prowess gets around that. Yeah. That's another neat thing to do to go under this ensnaring bridge, but still put out the amount of damage you can do because you have all these burn spells. It works in the same way that Noble Hierarch with its Exalted Trigger. If your opponent has no cards in hand, Noble Hierarch can still attack, but the Exalted Trigger happens after the attack, so it still gets true, which is quite nice. So, that is it from us here for Mono Red Prowess and the Obosh variants of Aggro. If you liked this and you want to support this in any way, you can jump on over to our Patreon. And like we said earlier on, even at the lowest tiers, you can get access to our cheat sheets and show notes which will give you everything that you need to know about these decks when you're taking them for the first time, along with deck lists. And if you have a suggestion of another deck you would like to see us highlight on a Modern Highlights episode, do let us know over on Twitter, at the BMcast. Now, have we got any questions or tips this week, Emma? So we have no questions, but we do have our weekly tweet from at EVTheMage97, who has kindly dropped in to talk about Massacre Worm and how the M21 version is incredibly cheap and the, how cheap the extended art is. On TCG Player at the moment, as the example, it's about $5 at the moment. And I know you're quite a fan of non-foil mm. extended art cards. So. Yep, non-foil for life. Yep, and it's just a really good card to pick up for those commander decks. It's really good if you want to build like Mono Black Devotion in Modern, if you have Phyrexian mm. Obliterators and whatnot, it's a good time to pick them up. Great commander card too. Yes. I love getting a message from Evie the Mage. We always get such stonks. Yeah, I know, right? It's almost like we're a budget podcast or something. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philip Delmott, The Jazz Guy, the Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Stephanie Pace, Ian Holland, and the Pauper Guild. At the Stonks tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Anga Orr, Scott Creech, and Simon Grip. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. 
If you want to support us too, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.